Good evening. A Puritan's Mind brings you the old-time radio program, the Wild Boar News Podcast from sunny South Florida. Welcome. I'm Dr. Matthew McMahon. Christ Mass, and I mean Christ Mass. The popish and Roman holiday of Christ Mass demonstrates very clearly that such festivals are in fact proved to be Babylonian. How was Christ massed that festival connected with December 25th? The scriptures say nothing about it. Nor could it have been the 25th of December. Such would be the wrong time of the year. There is no doubt the climate of Palestine is so cold at night from December to February that it would not be the custom of the shepherds of Judea to watch their flocks in the open fields. Nor would it be the time of consensus taking with lots of people traveling in such weather. How then did the Romish Church fix December the 25th as Christ Mass? Why, thus long before the 4th century, and long before the Christian era itself, a festival was celebrated among the heathen at the precise time of the year, in honor of the birth of the son of the Babylonian Queen of Heaven. And it may be fairly presumed that, in order to conciliate the heathen and to swell the number of the nominal adherents of Christianity, the same festival was adopted by the Roman Church, giving it only the name of Christ, to coincide with its Mass, thus Christ Mass. This tendency on the part of the Christians to meet paganism halfway was very early developed and very prominent in the Roman Church. Rome no doubt saw the wassailing bowl of Christ Mass had its precise counterpart in the drunken festival of Babylon, and many of the other observances still kept among ourselves at Christ Mass came from the very same quarter. The Yule Log was to symbolize Zero Ashta, the seed of the woman, which name also signified Ingigniga, or Born of the Fire. This one has to enter the fire on Mother Night, that he may be born the next day out of it, as, quote, the branch of God, or the log that brings all divine gifts to men. But why, it may be asked, does he enter the fire under the symbol of a log? To understand this, it must be remembered that the divine child born at the winter solstice was born as a new incarnation of the great God, little g., after that, God, little g, had been cut in pieces, on purpose to revenge his death upon his murderers. The mistletoe bow, in like manner, in the druidic superstition, was derived from Babylon as a representation of a messiah, the man, the branch. The mistletoe was regarded as a divine branch, a branch that came from heaven and grew upon a tree that sprung out of the earth. And what about the Christmas goose. The Egyptian god Seb, with his symbol the goose, and the sacred goose on a stand, offered his sacrifice. In many countries we have evidence of a sacred character attached to the goose. It is well known that the capital of Rome was on one occasion saved, when, on the point of being surprised by the Gauls in the dead of night, by the cackling of the geese, sacred to Juno, kept in the temple of Jupiter. The goose in Asia Minor was the symbol of Cupid, just as it was the symbol of Seb in Egypt. In India the goose occupied a similar position, for in that land we read of the sacred Brahmi goose, or goose sacred to Brahma. 
Finally, the monuments of Babylon show that the goose possessed a mystic character in Chaldea, and that it was offered in sacrifice there, as well as in Rome or Egypt. For there the priest is seen with the goose in the one hand, and his sacrificing knife in the other. There can be no doubt, then, that the pagan festival at the winter solstice, in other words, Christ Mass, was held in honor of the birth of the Babylonian Messiah. The Roman Church popularized it, and borrowed from paganism these things, and applied them to Christ, overthrowing the regulative principle, and creating worship out of that which God never commanded. More on this later. This is Dr. Matthew McMahon, signing off. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.